Revelation chapter number 11. If you have your Bibles, go to Revelation chapter number 11. And uh, we're continuing this series that we started a little while ago. And uh, this morning we're Revelation chapter 11 verses number 1 through uh, 13 today. Uh, Revelation 11, 1 through 13. Just talking today about the martyred messengers, the martyred messengers. Uh, question for you this morning as we begin. Here's, here's the question I want to ask you. Uh, so so suppose, suppose you had uh, one encounter left with someone. Would you not select your words very carefully? One encounter left, what would you say? I would imagine they would be words that you thought through, that you would say, uh, I want to leave them with this. I'm not going to see them again. I want to leave them with this one message. And uh, this morning, just thinking about Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry, uh, after his crucifixion and resurrection, uh, he was here for over 40 days, and, 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 and then all of a sudden in the book of Acts, we have his ascension. Uh, in other words, when he was uh, uh, caught back home right in front of his disciples, and it was there that he gave his last words. In fact, the Bible says in Acts chapter number 1, verses 7 and 8, uh, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the world. And uh, it's, it's incredible when you're talking about, uh, he simply says, I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to be uh, my witnesses. Testify to what you have seen and heard and know to be true. And, uh, and so the question would be, why, why is that so important? Why is that so important that we would be faithful witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why is that so important? And the reason is because eternity is in the balance. We are faced with people every single day of our lives who are perishing, who are one heartbeat away from an eternity in a place called hell. And unless they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will be forever separated from Jesus in a place called hell. In fact, the Bible says it like this in Romans chapter number 10 and verse number 14 and following. The Bible says, how then uh, uh, will they, talking about lost people, how are they going to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We've been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word, in fact, the apostle Paul said it like this. I know that the word of God is powerful. Uh, it's the power of God unto salvation. That's how he talks about the gospel. It's powerful uh, unto salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Gentiles. 
And, and, and God Almighty entrusted his church, entrusted his people with being witnesses. In fact, I've said it like this before. We are God's plan A, and there's not a plan B. If the church is silent, how will the world hear to call on the name of Jesus? I was thinking a thought this week, and I thought, I wonder how many people, uh, uh, most people that we uh, encounter have some kind of a perception of the church, some kind of a perception of Jesus Christ, some kind of a perception of even things from God's Word. Even though it might be an ignorant perception, there are many with some type of perception, and I wonder how many people that are perishing that live right here in the United States of America, in fact, right next door to most of us, work right next to most of us, have they ever heard a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God Almighty, He loves you dearly, so much so that He sent His one and only son into this world to lay down his life because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin separates us and there is no fixing of our sin in and of ourselves. In fact, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. So God sent and he paid the price for your sin and my sin so that we could have intimacy with God Almighty through the blood of Jesus Christ. I wonder how many people have heard the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly. You know, when you're talking about witnesses, here's interesting. When you're looking through Scripture, uh, our, our, our English word for witness uh, comes from the word martyr in the Greek. Uh, the word martyr in the Greek, our, our English word is a derivative from the word martyros. In other words, the word martyr. It's, it's someone who is willing to share the truth even if it costs me my life. That's what it means to be a witness. Whatever the cost, I will share the truth of what I know have seen and heard to be true. And so this morning we're talking about the martyred messengers. Revelation chapter 11, beginning in verse number 1. Read with me. The Bible says, Then there was given me, talking about John, John the Revelator, uh, then there was given me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, Get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it for it has been given to the nations and they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months verse 3 and i will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the lord of the earth and if anyone wants to harm them Fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. Verse 6. These have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished, when they have finished, when they have finished their testimony... The beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and over, overcome them and kill them. And their bodies, their dead bodies, will lie in the street of the great city, uh, which mystically or spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days, will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate. And they'll send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them. And they stood on their feet and great fear fell upon all those who were watching. 
And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And then they went up into heaven in the cloud, and their enemies watched them. Verse 13. And in that hour was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. This morning, if you've been following along with us, we've been walking through, again, the book of Revelation, and we find ourselves in the middle of what we refer to as the tribulation period. Uh, the tribulation period, and, and in Scripture, the tribulation period is a seven-year period that follows the rapture of the church, the calling out of the church to be with Jesus Christ, uh, and it precedes the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to establish His millennial kingdom. And so we're right here in the middle of this seven-year period where there's tribulation like never, ever, ever before known on this planet. Nobody has ever experienced anything like what we're talking about in these verses of Scripture. Uh, when you're talking about the tribulation period, you will find, as you read through from Revelation 6 through Revelation 19, you will find uh, that they come in packages of three. The word comes in packages of three. You have uh, 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 seven sevens. I'm sorry, there's three sevens. There's seven. Seven seals. Uh, we have the seven seals. And every time a seal was opened, we're beyond the seven seals. Now we're in the midst of the seven trumpets. We're between six and seven on the trumpets, and then eventually we will get into the bowl judgments. And so that's how it's laid out. This particular passage here uh, has to do with the two messengers who were martyred, the two martyred messengers. And so as we walk through here, I just want to pull out a few things <clears throat> as we move forward. Number one is the first two verses uh, present to us the prophetic measurement, the prophetical measurement. In other words, John heard a word saying, hey, take a measuring rod like a staff uh, and get up and measure the temple of God, the holy city. Where's the temple? The temple's in the holy city. The holy city is always, has always been referred to uh, as Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the holy city. That's how they refer to the city of Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting because when you're talking about the city of Jerusalem, uh, if you followed along, then you know that in A.D. 70, the city of Jerusalem was, was obliterated. In fact, the nation of Israel was dispersed. And, uh, and, and they never came back together until as late as 1948. In 1948, we have the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. Uh, but if you know anything of Israel and you go and read of Israel, you will find that the temple of God is not there, but rather what you have in Israel is the Dome of the Rock, which is a Muslim mosque that's there in the city of Jerusalem. And so the question's got to be asked, well, well then what in the world? Uh, uh, what, what temple's he measuring? The temple that's fixing to be built. It's not there yet. He's just saying, hey, it will be there how is that going to happen? It will happen during the first three and a half years of the tribulation period uh, when, when, when the Antichrist will enter into a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. They will rebuild their temple right there in the holy city. 
And so that's when it's going to happen. How in the world does that happen? Well, if you look back all the way back to Daniel chapter number 9 and in verse number 27. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. And the Bible says, And he will make a firm covenant, talking about the Antichrist, with the many for one week. And it's a, a reference to this tribulation period. But in the middle of the week, three and a half years in, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on, on the wing of abominations will come... One who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. And it's just talking, again, about uh, what's going to take place. Second Thessalonians, let me read and then we'll unpack it a little bit. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says this, "...let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God." And so what we have happening is all of a sudden we have a rebuilding of the temple right in the holy city of Jerusalem, and yet God Almighty is saying, hey, take a measuring rod, John, and go measure the temple. It's a prophetical word of what will take place. And by the way, when you're talking about taking measuring rod and measuring what that was, was a sim symbolic act, letting the world know, this is my temple. I own the temple. I am God Almighty. And it's, and it's a sign of ownership. In fact, if you take your own house, for example, if you were going to sell your house and you're still living there, but the new owners buy the house, what they're going to do is they're going to probably come and take a measuring tape and measure off what the rooms look like because they're the new owners of this place. And God Almighty is saying, John, I am the owner. I am God. Go measure. And it's a sign to the nations. It's a sign to the Jews. It's a sign of ownership. Reestablishing, by the way, when you're talking about the Jews reestablishing their sacrificial system of worship and a temple to be erected in the holy city. What a repudiation to Jesus Christ and who he is. That he is the Messiah, that he is the spotless Lamb of God that was slain from the salvation from the beginning of the world, and yet they're going to go and reestablish, saying, We know not who Jesus is. And yet God says, oh, I'm fixing to let you know. <laughs> and he goes on from there. A prophetical measurement in the first two verses of Scripture. And then we have this proclamation that comes from the messengers. The proclamation from the messengers, verses 3 and 4. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And so when you're talking about uh, these two messengers, the proclamation of the messengers. And, and, and one of the great questions, you know, oftentimes what happens to us when we go through the book of Revelation is we come upon things like these two messengers and, 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 and we're so sidetracked and bogged down and trying to figure out who are the messengers. And everybody's got an answer. If they've studied, they've got some kind of an answer to which I would simply say, we don't know who they are. He didn't tell us who they are. And I would say there's even a lesson to be known in that. And the fact of the matter is, it doesn't matter who the messenger is as long as the gospel's being proclaimed. We're not trying to exalt messengers. We're trying to exalt the Messiah. We're trying to exalt Jesus Christ. And so it really doesn't matter. You, you, you may have figured it out, and that's all fine and good. 
I have my speculative theology, which is ignorant. <laughs> God help me. The unidentified messengers, they're going to come. But can you imagine, can you imagine what's happening, though? Can you imagine being these messengers from God to come and witness in this holy city? And they come and they begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Jews are there. The Jews are there. And they're fully convinced. Let me tell you something. They are fully convinced that they are right with God, that they're under God's blessing. We've got our land that's been given back to us. Now we're able to rebuild our temple. God Almighty has found, we've found the favor of God. We are convinced completely that we are right with God. And then you've got these two messengers that come, and they begin to share the gospel. They talk about the word of God. They say, hey, let me tell you something. For God so loved the world, the world, the whole world, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whosoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world from their sins. He's the spotless lamb of God. Jesus Christ also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way to be saved, and it's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And can't you see the Jews getting ticked off and fired up because they're saying, you don't know what you're talking about. We've got the favor of God. We're building his temple in our way, reestablishing. Can you see where the hostility would be unparalleled? In fact, I believe as they're sharing I believe they go to Hebrews, and over in the book of Hebrews, there's so many different places where I think they go. But if you go to the book of Hebrews, you will find, if I can find it. <laughs> I didn't earmark this one. But the Bible says in Hebrews, chapter number 10, 11 through 14, it says it like this. Every priest stands daily, ministering and offering time, after time, the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, Jesus Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. I believe that they shared God's word faithfully during this period of time. I believe they talked a lot about the works of God. I believe they talked about how he fulfilled prophecy, how he was born of the Virgin Mary, how he was born in the little town of Bethlehem, and he was raised, and he, as he was raised, he never knew sin, he never sinned, but yet, he took my sin and he took your sin and he was beaten and he was crucified. And after he was crucified, they put him in the grave. And three days later, he rose from the dead and we have seen him. We know that he is alive. Jesus Christ is God Almighty. He is your Messiah. And I believe the spirit with which they spoke. The Bible says they were dressed in sackcloth. And sackcloth symbolized a repentant spirit. I believe that they had a heart that wasn't haughty and just calling people out, but a heart that was heavy and broken because there's such spiritual blindness by people that were engaging with the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the world needs to know that you love them. I'm not just here to correct you. 
I'm not just here to shout truth at you. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, the first couple of verses, that, hey, you, 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 can, you can shout the truth, but if you lack love, you're just annoying. God, help us to speak truth in a loving manner. The Bible describes these guys, and it says about them in verse number four, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. The two olive trees. You know, olive oil, olive oil is the fuel that allows the fire to burn in the lampstand. And what's he saying? He's saying, hey, you know what? <clears throat> it's the Holy Spirit of God. Because when you're looking through Scripture, in Scripture, when you're talking about oil, the anointing oil, what is the anointing oil? It represents, it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit of God. And he's saying, hey, these, these two witnesses are going to be anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. And that's the reason why there's a lot of fire happening as they're preaching. I, I believe that's the most important thing that any of us can have. I believe that's the most important thing that a preacher can have. It's not about an outline. It's not about fancy illustrations. It's not about how great of a speaker you are. It's about whether or not the Holy Spirit of God is empowering you and enabling you to proclaim His Word. It's an anointing that happens because where there's not a whole lot of oil in the lampstand, you know what happens? It's just a lot of smoke and no fire. And he says, these two, man, they've got an anointing that's come from God. And they're shining his light. Two lampstands. And we're called to shine his light. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 5, if you go back to Matthew 5, verses four, uh, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. You see, this isn't a special calling for two messengers that he's going to put here during the tribulation period. It's a calling for all of us. You're the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And so he says it like this. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It says they were standing before the Lord. You know, sometimes we are so fixed on the men that we stand in front of or the women that we stand in front of that we forget. I'm standing before God Almighty. He's the motive for why I do what I do. It's His glory that I'm seeking I'm not seeking to please anybody but the one who called me. And that's what these two witnesses were doing. They were faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their proclamation, verses 3 and 4. And it continues to go into verse number 5 and 6. And just the protection of God on the messengers of God. The protection of God on the messengers of God. Do you know that we are called to be his ambassadors I mean, I mean let's, let's talk about us for a minute. We're, we're called to be his ambassadors. You know what that means? That means that, 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 that he gives us all authority to do what he calls us to do. And, and along with that, I will protect you as my ambassador. And so, and so he gives them everything they need. In fact, the protection of the messengers, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall 
during the days of their prophesying, and they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth and every plague as often as they desire. You know, when you're talking about this period of time, this is a special time. It's an unparalleled time of great, great hostility on the planet. <clears throat> and yet Jesus says, even in our days, even during these days of grace in which you and I are living, the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and in verse number 12, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, it's interesting when you come to a verse like that because you have some people that say, man, I ain't never been persecuted in my life. Well, then I got a question. Are you living a godly life? He says, you're living in a world that crucified your Savior. Don't, don't you think that you will go through some difficult days as well? This is not your home. You know, when you start reading this, it's interesting because <clears throat> I was thinking about these two fellows and I thought, man, do, do you know, I, I found it hard, do you know that not everybody loves preachers? <laughs> not just a preacher on a platform, but a truth teller. Do, do you know not everybody loves them? In fact, in fact, some people despise them and, and they were greatly despised. In fact, to the extent that they were in danger, great danger. But God empowered them and enabled them in a special way. In fact, it's interesting when you read through the story because they could incinerate people, breathe fire. I mean, could you imagine that? Man, I, I'm he, he couldn't trust something like that to me. <laughs> what are you falling asleep for? You're not putting me in danger, falling asleep. <laughs> but these prophets, these prophets were empowered and enabled to accomplish the purpose that God had given to them. And here's where we got to be careful. Because we look at Scripture and we say, well, man, they had supernatural power. We got the same God. It's not them. It's, it's the God in them. It's the same God. And, and, and by the way, there are a lot of folks that say, oh, it's got to be Elijah, got to be Moses, you know, the law and the prophets, and here's what they did back there. Well, you know what? I, I would agree that, yeah, Moses and, yeah, Elijah and God supernaturally used them and empowered them to do supernatural things along the way. However, he can do the same thing for you and me. I'm not talking about incinerating people because I don't think we have to do that right now. <clears throat> But it's a special empowering that comes with the Holy Spirit of God. If you go back to Acts chapter 1, where we began, and in verse number 8, he says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, then you will be my witnesses. Why? Because we need the enabling and the empowering and the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God if we're going to be witnessing for Jesus Christ. God, help us understand 
what he's saying. And so he's just simply saying, hey, they've got protection. And in fact, we've seen, we've seen the same God, not just through uh, Moses and Elijah, but do you remember the story? There's a story in the New Testament and Luke chapter number 9, and you can go back and read all about it, where the disciples were following Jesus Christ and they sent some fellows out there to go into Samaria and the Samaritans rejected them and James and John were standing there with Jesus Christ. They said, hey, Jesus, you want us to go call down fire on that city for you? James and John. They had apostolic powers, special powers endowed for a season of time. And that's what we see happening with these two witnesses. They were supernaturally empowered. And, and, and when you look at <clears throat> what happens here, the famines that come, the droughts that come, the blood that's turned into water, it's an authentication, again, of what's happening with these people. It's the same thing we've seen happen through Scripture when there's major transitions in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, what we read about is a lot of different signs in the book of Acts. Why did we have signs? Because this is a new covenant. It was a new season. How do you know that what they're sharing is true? How do you know them to be true uh, uh, disciples and followers of God Almighty, the one true God? Well, he anointed them and appointed them in special ways. Apostolic powers, we call them. Same thing's happening here. Authenticating the message that they were preaching a message of judgment, that God Almighty is not well pleased. And so we have authentication happening there. But do you know when I look at these couple of verses of Scripture, what's interesting to me is that as one of God's ambassadors today, I have His hand of protection upon my life. To, to a certain... To, I believe that if I'm walking in his will, his way, nothing can happen to me unless he permits it to happen. Therefore, I'm invincible. You can't stop it unless he permits it. Ought to give me some confidence, hadn't it? He's with me. He's got me in the palm of his hand. Verse number 7, the Bible says, when they had finished their testimony. In other words, hey, there, there, there came a day, and they were finished. And it wasn't until they were finished. And, and it wasn't until God had finished using them to do what he had planned and purposed for them to do. When they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up, talking about the Antichrist, out of the abyss, will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. But the, body go, the, 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 the passage goes on and it says, And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. In other words, he's simply saying, Hey, this is not a holy city anymore. Why? Because God's not welcome in this place. It's very much like Sodom and very much like Egypt, where there was a rejection and an oppression of God and his people. It's not a holy city anymore. And the Bible says that <clears throat> these two witnesses were killed and their bodies were laid in the streets and they stayed out there for three days. They stayed out there for three days and the whole world was watching. In fact, it even says they had a, you might want to call it a satanic Christmas season where people gave gifts 
because, wow, the preachers are gone. We don't have to hear that anymore. And so they're giving gifts to one another. Now here's what's interesting is another word of prophecy happens in verse number 9. The Bible says uh, those, those from the peoples and the tribes and the tongues and the nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. In other words, how in the world are the peoples from all the nations and all the tribes going to be able to see what's happening? He's writing at a time before there was even electricity. Television didn't even happen until the 1927 was the first television set. Because God knew that one day there's going to be satellites and one day there's going to be social media where instantaneously people can be watching these dead bodies all around the world. And don't you know that it's going to be a lot of news. It's going to be on the headline news every single day. There are the witnesses. There are the witnesses. We have won. They are no more. And then all of a sudden on the third day, man, they began to twitch. <laughs> and their color changed. And they began to breathe. And they stood up. And God gave them life again. And God called them home. <laughs> what a day that's going to be. The Bible goes on to say, after that took place, verse 13, and in that hour there was a great earthquake, a tenth of the city fell, 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming. <clears throat> you know, we're not sure whether these that remained were saved. They acknowledged this was an act of the one true God. They glorified him. But I'm not sure. I don't know. But when it comes to signs, oftentimes we think that, man, if God would just do some supernatural signs, then my brother might get saved. If God would just do some supernatural signs, then my mama and my daddy might get saved. And do you know that Scripture addresses that very issue? There's a story in the Gospels about Lazarus and the rich man, and both of them died. And Lazarus went to the abode of the dead. And Lazarus was crying out and saying, Oh, if someone could just rise up from the dead, if somebody could just do a sign and go back and tell my brothers, then they'll get saved. And Jesus said, They have the word. If the word's not enough, You see, your family members and your friends, they don't need a sign. They just need a faithful witness. This world doesn't need signs. We have a Savior who came. He died on a cross, was buried, and three days later he rose from the dead. Don't you think that's enough sign? They just have to have a clear word. You know, I was thinking about the wickedness in this world and why would God send these two 
And it's because it's not his will. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, it's, it's not his will that any should perish, but that all may have eternal life. The heartbeat that God has is that you be saved. He didn't come into this world, lay down his life to condemn you, but to save you from your sin. And not just you, but us and the rest of the world. And so this morning, if you've never called on the name of Jesus Christ, do you know God loves you so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died on the cross? You can't fix yourself up. It's not because I'm so lovable. It's just simply because he so loves you and me that even though he knows we will sin and fall short of his glory, he still came and demonstrated his great love that he shed his blood on the cross for you and for me because there is no other way for salvation except through Jesus Christ. He conquered death in the grave. His payment for your sin and my sin was sufficient, complete, paid in full. That's why he said, it is finished. And he desires a loving relationship with you. And if you've never called on him, I'm, in, I'm imploring you today to call on his name today. Call on his name today. But for my brothers and sisters this morning, we talk about these witnesses and we see these witnesses and I know that God has called us to be witnesses. It's interesting because these two, these two had the attention of the whole world. And I was thinking, and a question I asked myself, and I would encourage you to ask yourself is this. If I were the only witness left in this world, would anybody else ever hear the gospel? If I were the only witness left, would anybody, would anybody else ever hear the gospel? Would you pray with me? This morning, I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we'll sing a song, and after the song has been sung, <clears throat> I'm going to be waiting down here. Ross will be down here. We'll have some folks waiting for you. Maybe you're here this morning and say, man, I don't have a relationship, but today I want to call on the name of Jesus. I want to be saved, man. I want, to, I want Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. Man, we, we want to help you in that journey, and so I'm inviting you. As soon as we sing, you come this morning. You come. But to the family, I just want to say, the question is hard-hitting. Am I faithful in my witness? The question's not offered to make us feel bad about ourselves, but yet, to recognize the seriousness of what's been entrusted to you and to me. That God Almighty puts you in moments with others.
And there's many others that need to hear. So today, I just want to encourage you. Maybe you're here and you say, man, I, I haven't been faithful. Well, make a decision today. God, I, I'm going to be a faithful witness before you. With the rest of my days, I want to be faithful. Oh, God, fill me with your spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. God, as we are walking through this book of the Revelation, we know that you are in control of all things, that you are sovereign, that there is only one God, and you are he. Oh God, we praise you, and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy that we have the privilege and opportunity to live during these days of grace. God, I pray that you find us faithful. Lord Jesus, open our eyes, move our hearts. I pray that we seek to bring honor and glory to your name. God, that we be faithful. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.